Welcome to the Circular Economy podcast by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Welcome to the Circular Economy show podcast, where we dive into the detail of the stories and the people behind the stories on the frontier of the circular economy. I'm your host, Seb, and my co-host, Lara, is alongside me. Thank you, Seb. What a pleasure to be here again with you presenting this podcast, which is published by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, where we do three main things. Develop and promote the idea of a circular economy, engage key stakeholders who can make it happen, and mobilize system solutions at scale. So we want you to join us every week as we share the conversations we are having with the leaders and the practitioners of the transition from linear to circular. So last week, Lara, we were in Glasgow um, during COP26, or at least we were sharing conversations when, when I was in Glasgow in COP26. You recently had the pleasure of rubbing shoulders with some fashionistas at the beautiful RSA House in London as part of the launch of the Foundation's Circular Design for Fashion book. Lucky for you! That's right, Seb. Today's podcast features two conversations with creatives in the fashion industry who feature in this pioneering publication. And later on, we'll introduce you to Rudo Nondo, who is a creative design practitioner associated to the fashion revolution in Zimbabwe. But first, I caught up with Josie Warden, who is the head of regenerative design at the RSA. I love that word, regenerative, Lara. But I'm slightly embarrassed to ask, what does it actually mean? Well, Seb, it's funny that you ask me this, because I asked Josie exactly that question, as well as finding out a bit more about the work that she does and why the notion of place-based design is so important to her, but also in her view, the circular economy. Uh, One of the principles of the circular economy, I mean, the three principles, eliminate waste and pollution, circulate products and materials, and then the third one is regenerate nature. And, And I know that through your work at the RSA, you also explore this concept a lot in different ways. So could you explain um, a little bit more what you mean, what regenerative means uh, to you? I guess on a sort of um, single sentence level, I think it's about like the idea of leaving things better than the way you found them. Um, and I think that is a fundamental shift in a lot of ways of thinking around, particularly around environment, um, which is really exemplified within the circular economy, that shift from like doing less harm to actually thinking how do you really change things so that you're leaving things in a better state. Um, but I think a, a kind of another layer of it is also that sense that there is, the world is a living system and that things will be constantly changing and evolving over time. So we need to also think about how we, when moving to a circular economy, how we kind of create processes and systems that enable that continual change to keep happening over time. And so the idea of being regenerative is then thinking about how you kind of create the conditions for that stuff to keep changing and to let kind of release the potential that exists in people and in communities um, to kind of keep meeting the new challenges that will come down the line. So I think that's how we're kind of seeing it of that sense of it being um, a living process um, and that actually the other part of it is that things that everything that we look at is nested so when we're looking at so, like environment society um, economy these things are not sort of separate pieces but we're all interconnected um, and that feels like a really important um, yeah thing to explore within how we then move into a circular economy and what about the con- like the use of regenerative within the fashion industry. Yeah, so I think it's been really interesting in the last year, I think during the pandemic, seeing the shift within the fashion industry becoming to talk more about regeneration. And I think it's kind of come from this sense that 
there is, I mean, it's been building for a number of years, but there really, I think, has been this huge recognition, both from the industry and publicly, about the, the negative impacts of fashion. Um, and the way the fashion industry has been going about change, I think, in the last few years has been, um, or in the last decade maybe, has been quite piecemeal of, like, let's create a single line of clothing that is, like, our sustainable brand, or um, let's you know, think about our one material that we're putting into things. And I think both people and, and businesses are recognising actually all of these things are not enough to kind of tweak those additional things. So it feels like the regenerative kind of conversation in fashion has come back from that sense of actually we know it's not enough to do these kind of small things around the edge. We need to really think about much a, a more kind of radical, ambitious change. Mm-hmm. So that's where it's come from. I think at the moment it's still, the kind of conversation in fashion is still quite focused on um, particular materials and how that connects to agriculture, for example, which is really important because that conversation, I think, has been not around for a while. There's been quite a gap and a um, divide between like agriculture and where materials come from and then the industry itself. Um, but I think it can be really exciting and hopefully over the next next year or so, seeing fashion think about actually how does that also go beyond materials into maybe how they um, work with the rest of their supply chain, how they kind of develop their business to enable them to kind of support people and the environment um, uh, in the same way. So I feel like it's a, it's a really interesting transition for the industry at the moment around this kind of concept of regeneration. Um, definitely. And I think, um, I mean, we're seeing a lot of changes and a lot of, uh, let's say, new commitments by organizations uh, thinking beyond their materials. So obviously it's one of the main things when they think about their circular design, mm. uh, how they apply circular design as part of their business, but they are also going beyond that, thinking about the business models, how people can access whatever they put into the market and also what happens at the end, like what kind of systems do we need in place to like get those products and materials to be kept in in use. Um, what is the link between this kind of regenerative thinking or mindset and circular design? I think, I guess I see it as like a really key mindset shift within um, that designers need within circular economy and to design for circularity because it, um, I think it sort of sets you on a trajectory of thinking like actually, firstly, we're working in a world that is interconnected. So when I make a decision about my the fabrics I use, that has an impact kind of down the supply chain to where it came from. It has an impact on to where this is going to go in the future. And that kind of getting used to doing that kind of zooming in and zooming out, which I think they talk a lot about in the design guidebook. Um, I think that that is a mindset shift that is really helpful to start seeing those kind of nested interconnections. Um, so I think it kind of underpins that kind of way of thinking. Um, and I think that second piece is then around like, how do you create the capabilities for people to keep making change over time. So I feel like it's still those two areas of seeing things as independent and seeing things as like, if I create a you know, pair of jeans that needs to go into the market, how do I also think about the fact that the, the kind of system around how people buy things actually might, be, might look different in 20 years time. So bearing in mind those kind of different layers of things, I think that's what regenerative thinking helps you to kind of look at those different mindsets um, in new ways. And let's talk a little bit more about the work you do uh, at, as head of regenerative design at the at the RSA. Um, why futures? Do you think that that could that maybe that can divert some people from thinking about action in the present, or why did yeah. you call it regenerative futures? Yeah. So we so we call it futures rather than future because <laughs> we guess what our kind of focus of this is like we don't know what exactly this is going to look like. Um, similar with circular economy, like we, you know what the ambition is, but we don't know exactly how that's going to play out. So it's a good to have the opportunity kind of to be able to explore it 
in different ways and that it might look different in different places. So the futures bit is really important. Um, and I think it's also trying to build that sense that this is um, not a sort of one time solution mm -hmm. that actually this is a kind of and I think that is another mindset shift is seeing this as like something you need to keep working out um, and I think they talk about this in the book as well of like this circular economy is something that can be kind of solved it's a kind of process of becoming always and like how can you keep changing because there'll always be more depths you can go to or new things you can explore so I think that's why we um, focus on that idea of like moving futures yeah. and it kind of keep going keeping you going forward but there are so many examples of this stuff happening in practice today and again as the book kind of brings to life um that i think you're right part of it is then trying to explain to people and show people inspire people like what's happening now of what this could all look like potentially and i guess that for some people like circular design i mean something that is very clear to me is that there are many ways of applying circular design to to the work you do depending on actually what what your role is uh, within the fashion industry um And it can maybe seem a little bit abstract sometimes for people. And I know that in your last report, you kind of created these guiding principles for designers to apply. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about what they are? Um, so, yeah, so we set, created a set of eight principles um, to support designers to think in a regenerative way when they're working. And that's trying to kind of move, trying to get over the sort of automatic way of thinking that you might have um, and so it's very much thinking like if you want to move towards this circular economy way of thinking about you know eliminating circulating regenerating what are some of the like, practices you might need to support you and so we've looked at um, quite a range of things but I'll pick on a couple of them so one was uh, is around um, designing for circulation of, of all kinds of things so we're talking about how you circulate materials but actually in order to get to a circular economy you also need to think about how you circulate things like information um, data Um, and then also other things, maybe like finance or um, power agency, because we definitely found working with designers, like they don't always have all of the information that they need to be able to design a whole product. So mm -hmm. actually, how do you think about circulation beyond the material piece? Um, another one we looked at was thinking about what is this kind of idea of nestedness? So how are you working on a project and being sure that you're looking at the next couple of layers up? So if I'm working on a pair of jeans, mm -hmm. how do I, how's that influencing my organization? How is that in, maybe then influencing the way jeans are designed um, Uh, across the industry um, and one big area that we think is really important is starting the, the idea of starting from place and context um, and that's again maybe flipping a conversation that uh, when you have a big kind of global supply chain or a big global industry it feels quite intuitive to start at, at like the big side how do you make change in a kind of big way um, with those big players but actually what we're quite interested in the idea of regeneration is also how do you work from um, what is the kind of assets that are within a place. So that could be a town, it could be an organization, um, and building things up from there. Um, and that's quite a sort of shift in mindset for a lot of designers to be thinking about. Um, so that's one of the principles too. But they're all designed to kind of get people to think slightly differently about how they're approaching um, the work that they're doing and to create sort of spaces for, for new ideas to, to emerge. Is this kind of place-based approach, is it um, something that you feel like the circular economy perhaps it's not doing, uh, like, it's not really taking into account at the moment, the narrative. Um, I guess we do see a lot in cities, mm -hmm. but for example, I don't know, like thinking about a village or a town or I don't know, at different kind of scales and levels. Um, yeah, what do you think we need to do to kind of like, let's say, put this in place, this yeah. principle? I think it is a bit of a gap at the moment. Um, as you say, there's kind of focus on things within cities, 
But I think it's the, um, I think the idea of moving to a very different system, do we try and design that a big scale and then like land it into different places? And the, I guess at the RSA, we work a lot on kind of social change things. And this challenge you see, if that happens within policy, you design something at a big layer and then you try and land it in a place, you get a kind of kickback reaction because it's, it doesn't suit that place. It's not tailored, it doesn't work. And I think the benefit we have with the circular economy, because it's trying to move to a very different system, is actually how could we, rather than look at that kind of homogenous idea, think about maybe there could be lots of different, multiple ways of doing things that collectively can add up to a different system. And I think that's the beauty of the idea of distribution within circular economy. Um, so I think there's so much um, kind of fertile opportunities within places to look at uh, new solutions that can work for that place. And it might, I think it probably should be the case that, you know, a, a fashion brand working in um, California actually has quite a different approach to a fashion brand working in um uh, Mysore or in Mumbai or because they have different contexts. So I think that's really important. I think it helps people and communities to make sense of what's going on if you do if you kind of work from what's in place. Um, but it also just offers the opportunity to do things totally different. So as an, an example, there's organisations called Fibre Sheds who are working around the world looking at different um, ways that local regions can grow fibre and dye systems. So in this case, for example, California, looking at different kinds of things. In the UK, they're looking particularly at wool um, and um, materials that might be able to be grown here. And that is just a totally different way of looking at supply chains where normally you're looking to kind of homogenise things. Um, so I think there's a lot of potential in that of like growing, growing different kinds of systems from place. Um, but at the moment, there isn't the resource and infrastructure to enable that across lots of different sectors. So I think I feel like that's an important gap to be looking at. And what about the role of entrepreneurs? Because I know you've, you've worked on this program called Rethink Fashion, um, in which you had a cohort of, of different entrepreneurs working on different, let's say, areas of the fashion industry. Um, what's the role and, and what did you, let's say, what are the main learnings that you took from this program? Yeah, yeah. so we worked with um, 12 creatives from across different parts of the fashion system. And we did that intentionally because they are all, I guess, representing different kind of perspectives. So we had some from manufacturing, some from design, some from marketing. Um, and the kind of purpose was to see how they, as both individuals but also a collective, could increase their impact mm -hmm. um, by developing and enhancing their kind of circular design credentials. Um, and I think the kind of key, the, the, I guess the role of innovators in that space is for them to be able to kind of signal a new future they are not encumbered by the kind of challenges of the existing, uh, many existing businesses and are like, can see, I guess, see that kind of direction and where things could go. Um, so that's, that's their role and it's what's so exciting about what they do. What's so difficult about what they do is um, it's often so kind of future looking um, that it's sometimes difficult to kind of get the resource or get the network that can enable them to make that happen. Um, and they're also then working within a system which has been geared up to, you know, kind of, for one version of success. So what we wanted to do with the group was really see how they um, can support each other to be a kind of field of practice that collectively are making change together. Because I think it can often be a very lonely place to be that kind of um, kind of innovator. So for them to be able to support one another, recognize they don't have the whole picture themselves, learn from each other, and then kind of work as a collective field to, to support wider change. And I think, I guess, that recognizing that role of um, kind of convening and creating the 
imagination infrastructure. So how do they collectively think what that future is and where do they want to go together and how can they then kind of work back from that into what are the seeds that they can put in practice together, both in their own organisation, but also collectively that can help that to move forward. Um, and I think that that kind of role is really important because it starts to build that kind of field of practice as opposed to just individual innovations. Um, and I think that then enables them to, yeah, to have that more kind of collective impact. So we're getting towards the end, but I wanted to ask you a couple of big questions, I would say. <laughs> One right. is like, what is the kind of like uh, bottleneck or challenge, uh, you know, that it's, you know, preventing, let's say, a circular economy for fashion um, to kind of scale? Uh, Yeah, which one is the one that excites you the most uh, to, you know, to work on the topic and focus yeah. on, the solu on finding solutions? So I think the big bottleneck I see, which is quite philosophical, <laughs> is I think a lot around like mindsets of how we understand the world. And I think um, the kind of seeing humans as separate from the environment underpins so much of our culture, but actually then really affects the way we think about um, the work that we do, how we relate to each other. Um, and my my dad's, on my dad's side, I'm, I'm First Nation Canadian, mm -hmm. and I just love the kind of, the different perspective that that brings, that that, that that part of my family brings on actually seeing the world as living and interconnected and, you know, the trees and the plants being your relations and not being inanimate objects. And that's just like a totally different way of seeing things. But I think if you have those different like underpinnings, you can then build up to like different ways of doing stuff. So I feel like there's a big philosophical mindset thing that I think is yeah. challenging. And I think it's actually shifting a lot. Even recently I've noticed people talking about like, um, you know, life being not just humans, but other things. Um, then I think in practice, when it comes to kind of the industry level side of things, I think the Um, definitely like how we measure success is a real is a really big challenge because without those different measures you will find people who are innovating within industries and within businesses who always hit a kind of immune response because they what they're doing doesn't get captured or recognized within the kind of current way of thinking of things so that's why I think things like uh, like the donut kind of economics framing of like um, actually how do you look at different measures and therefore what different business models are enabled mm -hmm. um, to, to let you try things in a different way. So I think there's like a deep, deep-seated yeah. thing, but then also some very like clear structural things as you kind of go up. And I think education is a big thing too, like supporting designers to, to learn differently. Because again, I think the industry is quite siloed in how designers learn. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're able to kind of bring people together in that layer too, that starts to kind of create changes. Um, thank you, Josie, uh, for being here with me Thanks today. Thanks very much. We've connected many times with Josie across our work here at the Foundation, and it has been great to hear her latest thinking there. She's especially good at drawing those systemic connections and understanding the value of designing for multiple benefits versus compartmentalizing, as she described it. I also had the chance to speak with Rudo Nondo, who is a creative designer based in Zimbabwe. She told me how her journey with the circular economy started by asking the question, what's happening with those offcuts? And how she designs to tell stories and not for volume. So thank you, Rudo, for being here with me uh, today uh, in the Circular Economy Show. I would like us to start by talking a little bit more about yourself and why you became interested in the circular economy in the first place and why did you decide to apply it uh, to your creative practice? 
Okay, um, thank you for having me. Uh, okay, so I'm Rudo Nondo. I am a creative design practitioner from Zimbabwe. And I'll say creative design practitioner because I started off in fashion, then continued to work or evolved to work with communities and artisans within communities. Um, well, I actually looked into circularity. It was more around storytelling, more about extending life cycles, right? So what I found when I actually entered the fashion industry, I would say unofficially, was around 2009, officially in 2013, was that we were losing a lot of our practice, um, trying to keep up with what was happening in the West, but slowly losing track of what we had grown up around. Um, so my history is I actually studied law with business studies as a first degree. So fashion was more about passion, more about increasing or providing a platform for designers in Zimbabwe to increase, you know, their skill to showcase what they were making. Um, and I actually stumbled into fashion because I wanted to enter the space. I wanted to understand how it worked. I wanted to understand what design in Zimbabwe was like. Um, this is in the, yeah, around 2009, 2010. And I found this amazing group of designers that were designing but were struggling because the world is evolving. Circularity started coming about um, in practice for me when I started making clothes. So I didn't just go on to start with, you know, a fashion line. I started making my own clothes. Um, through making my own clothes, started working with seamstresses that would make my clothes. And people would be like, oh my gosh, where did this come from? How did you make it? And basically started making clothes piece by piece um, for clients, right? But we'd always have offcuts. And I would sit in these rooms with the seamstresses and be like, okay, so what are we doing with these offcuts? Where are they going? And, you know, the first thing I was told is, oh, yeah, this old man comes and picks them up. And I'm like, and then what? <laughs> you know, like, where does he take them? So I basically started getting those from the seamstresses, started distributing, firstly, with, you know, my great aunts, some in town, some in the rural areas. And they would, like, patchwork and make duvets um, using these. Then realized that some were actually making floor mats as well. That's how, how I started I've been working with designers through my work with Fashion Revolution Zimbabwe. So I'd say that as I've evolved as well, I've become less of a maker and more of someone that is coordinating or providing a platform for other designers to follow within the circular process. A lot of it is around, yeah, awareness, educational awareness, and engaging, we engage with the community, with the makers, as in the seamstresses, with the designers, with the suppliers of the materials as well. And how do you, uh, let's say, apply a concept such circular design um, to the work that you do? You've talked, you've spoken about making clothes, like designing them. Yeah, how do you apply it in, in your work? Um, so basically for me, it started with reducing waste, right? So we went from the... I would sit and observe. I sit and observe a lot of things. So I went from how many meters to make a pair of trousers? Then I'd be told two meters. And I'm like, but why is there always a piece left? 
what are we doing with that? So my first thing started with, if it's going to be 1.45 meters, that is what we are buying in the shop. And that is how we're making. I've incorporated it more, like even uh, at times things like labels. I've used it when I've been working with artisans. Sometimes you can use like, you know, the offcuts to like incorporate into designs and I've just tried to eliminate waste from the very beginning. So I say I've tried because it's a journey um, and I can never tell you that, oh yeah, we are 100% zero waste, but that's how I've tried to do it. I've prolonged, um, I actively, I'm not a throwaway. I don't throw things away, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not wasteful in practice as well. So even the clothes that I wear, I have adopted circularity to be my lifestyle. So I will wear something until the very end. Just half of my clothes are acquired, like this jersey is acquired from, you know, my mother when she used to work in the 90s. So I've incorporated circular design in practice and in lifestyle and in teaching others. Would you say that this kind of mindset in the in the context of, of Zimbabwe, maybe uh, for our audience who might not be familiar with it, would you say that this mindset is very much present on people's lives as opposed to in, in some countries in the West where fast fashion has kind of become the norm? So here we are, right? We're in the middle in Zimbabwe because I believe we've been doing everything right. We don't have your high street shops. Like we've got one or two fashion retailers. So when I was looking at that, I was like, everything we've been doing so far is correct. It's all made to measure. Most people buy their clothes made to measure. Um, you're buying something for a specific occasion, but you'll keep wearing that. I grew up in a household where my grandmother used to make my mother's clothes and her siblings' clothes where when I would go to school, my mother would knit my jersey. So this is how we have grown up. But we are now in the middle where we're like, let's keep up with the West. So I'm like kind of right there saying, actually, no, <laughs> you know, let's continue doing what we were doing. Let's continue to take care of our clothes. Let's wash our clothes. We wash our clothes by hands. Um, we line dry our clothes. So we we try, but... Overconsumption is literally knocking on our door. I'll give you one example. I was out here saying, oh, we don't do Black Friday in Zimbabwe. Like, that never happens. And this year, as a result possibly of the pressure post-lockdown, a lot of young designers are having Black Friday sales. And I'm just like, why are we doing this? Like, let's wait a minute. So I would say... We know what to do. We know the right thing, but there are economic pressures, right? There are pressures to please. So it's, it's, a, learning pro, it's a learning process. Um, it's all about, again, education. And as I've been working with young designers, I believe that they then go and also speak to their, you know, their customers or to their inner circles to like, you know, carry the message across. And I guess people... People like being able to make comfortable choices. So I guess in a way, being able to access more clothes, it's something that might appeal a lot to, to people. Um, and if, if we could, let's say, imagine the, a different future uh, from overconsumption, um, how would you describe 
like a future that works for the fashion industry in Zimbabwe? For the fashion and industry in Zimbabwe, let's get back to the basics, guys. Like, let's do things the way we used to do them. Let's get back into sourcing. We used to make beautiful, you know, cotton garments. And in Zimbabwe, cotton farming, again, you know, is not damaging to the environment. They used to, so we used to provide jobs, like, literally from the ground all the way up. So I would say let's get back to old practice. Let's continue with our practice of making to measure. We never grew up with just wardrobes or, or, you know, like a whole lot of pieces in our wardrobes. So let's get back to that. Let's get back to designing with the consumer in mind. Let's get back to designing for the consumer. And when I say that, it's more how we grew up as well, made to measure. Our mothers would get their outfits tailored. Let's get back to that sort of practice We are kind of in the middle as well because we've got a lot of clothes that are ending up on our shores. And another way that I've been promoting that we kind of deal with this problem is instead of buying brand new like zippers and buttons and things like that, let's see what we can get from the bales, right? Let's pull products apart and start designing with that. So that's the future I see for now because we do have quite a lot of, yeah, policy issues that we'll need dealing with, but we can work whilst those are being dealt with. And do you think, is there a place in this kind of vision for big companies as well to play a role? Definitely. And I would say, again, it's about the companies understanding the environment and the ecosystem. And we don't buy... A lot of clothes. Um, I get shocked. Like, I got shocked the other day when I was on what I call Zim Twitter. And someone was like, oh, so how long does it take for Sheen to deliver? And I'm like, why are we ordering from Sheen right now? <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think there is a role that the companies can play in how they are producing. And maybe designing with, it's all about designing with the client in mind. So in terms of reducing waste, I've worked with one company as well that was a factory that was producing for a retailer and they would give me all their offcuts and then I would use those or distribute amongst designers that needed them as well. So for now, that's the role that they can play. And it's also about just making less, right? Um, let's not make things that just for the sake of making. Let's make things as they are needed. So I guess it's just them realizing the potential of also changing their business models because yeah. they can still make money from this economic opportunity, but it's about how you can make money without actually maybe making more clothes or using more materials or resources. Exactly. It's about looking at what's in your warehouses, um, looking at what's in your stock rooms. We have just adopted fabric from a textile mill that shut down. And as we're going through these samples, like we just got a room full of fabric, right? And I was like, I'll take it, <laughs> find a home for it. And there are beautiful samples from the 80s. Like they still have the stamp that this was made in 1989, 1990. So it's about using that that fabric. And that's what we've been using in the last three projects that I've been working in. The designers that I've been working with have been redesigning using the, yeah, the restored or the 
recaptured, recaptured material. Um, and you you mention um, I think in our new book that you design for stories. You don't design for volumes. Um, why do you place such an important focus on storytelling? And could you give us an example of of a story uh, you know that you that you have told throughout this one of your designs? So yeah, I design for stories because again, I feel. As an African woman, right, we carry a lot. We we absorb a lot of their times where I'm like, why are you timing me this? I don't know if I can help. So as an outlet, I literally just started designing. Like design for me is an outlet as well. And Layers um, is a project I did in partnership with the British Council, Alliance Francais, and the Zimbabwe German Society in 2018. And that was my first platform to tell stories of people that I'd met in practice. So the book featured five women and all of them had kind of, I crossed paths with them at different points in my journey. And I actually started designing the pieces based on the stories that they had shared um, with their consent, of course, based on the experiences that we had lived through. So it was a very poetic collection But what I found so interesting about it was as I was designing the pieces before people had actually gotten hold of the book that followed, it was interesting to see how people were interacting with the clothes. So, you know, someone would walk up to it and be like, this is my dress. And I'll be like, you need to meet, like, for example, Sharon, (laughs) like Sharon is all about love. And that's how I feel when I'm in your presence. So storytelling is a way of allowing people to fall in love with clothes again. And it's finding that, I'd say like attachment to something. When there's a story involved, you're less likely to just discard. I think something um, you're saying, it's, it's, it's just making me think about how important it is and how maybe we've become really detached from our clothes because we literally just buy them in the shop and we don't know where the material's coming from, what, what it's even made of. And I think like this whole idea of circular design and something that I'm figuring out in these conversations is, is that there are many ways of doing circular design and it means different things for, for different people. But it, it's also about reconnecting with your clothes, with the materials, with uh, like where, where are they coming from and what can you do afterwards because it can become, you know, something else for another person and it can be kept in use. And I think the younger generations are understanding this. We, we mentioned in the book that circular design is about designing with people and for people. So to really keep, as you said in the beginning, keeping people at the center of of your decisions. What's your take on this? My take is when we're designing with people, it's bringing them into the design process. So in my early days as a fashion designer, you know, someone would say, oh, I just want a dress. And I'd literally sit down and be like, okay, where are you wearing it? How many times do you want to wear it? And I had started with like African print, which was very distinct. So I'd, you know, break it down and say, okay, maybe instead of designing one dress, right, it's going to take me the same materials. Why don't we design a skirt and a top? And it has the illusion of a dress. That is how I started designing with people. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, that makes sense. I can break this piece up and down and wear it in many different places. When I started looking at the notion of designing for people, 
I'm living in a country right now which is right in the middle of a climate crisis. And at this point in time, it's a very new notion as well. Like we understand that weather patterns are changing. We understand that. We understand that farming seasons are changing, but we don't quite understand how and why. So when we bring designing for people into circularity, it's about preserving. When we are recapturing those materials from landfill, it's because I know that we survive from what comes from the ground. So what we don't want is having unused clothes just building up on that ground. So my designing for the people is not only designing for us, but then the generations to come as well. And it's almost like stopping the damage before it comes because the damage is there. It is coming, but we're not understanding the science of it. So with people... Let's bring everyone along in the journey. It's why I've now gone from less of designing myself to what I call the boring Excel spreadsheets, concept notes, and, you know, the admin of it is because I believe in bringing as many designers on board as I can. And that way they can also make changes in their spaces. Um, so it's about really bringing people on board, collaborating. And also what I'm hearing is that it's about just thinking about how we can design out that waste and that pollution before it even exists. And that's the, the power of design. That's it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rudo, for being here with me today. Thank you. It's so easy to forget how crucial context is in creating design. But it's inspiring to hear how the core principles of a circular economy, which are eliminate, circulate and regenerate, can be applied in different contexts. Both our guests in this episode, Seb, reflect this, whilst they come from very different starting points and they are working in very different contexts. For me also, Lara, listening into those conversations, there's something about the power of design to inspire, to inspire in terms of being appealing, but also to inspire in terms of telling a compelling new story that people can buy into. Yeah, and also something that I've heard in this conversation, Seb, is that circular design can take many forms, um, depending on who you are speaking to and depending on what their role is in the fashion industry. Unfortunately, that's all for this episode of the Circular Economy Show podcast. Please do subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date with all our content, and we'll be back again here next week. Thanks for listening to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation Circular Economy podcast. Don't forget to share, rate and subscribe.